Day two starts in a police station. Aya has changed her attire and it's now more casual. Gon has the black dress for the opera and she's now in jeans and a black jacket. In the main office, she talks to her colleagues. Daniel asks if she's alright and tells her she should be resting. Aya replies, wishing that she could, but because she's the only one who knew what happened, she's here to help file reports. Daniel lets her know that he's been gathering information on Melissa. She has no relatives, no close friends. She was often sick and was on medication. The people at the opera were very surprised that she could even stand on the stage. He tells her that the apartment burned down right after the incident, so they have no information on the medication she was using. Another colleague, Nix, also speaks. He asks, so what's this spontaneous combustion stuff all about? Air tells him it wasn't exactly spontaneous, that people were set on fire. A fourth man, Warner, protests saying, oh come on, what, like one of those ASP things? Air confirms that's the best way to describe it for now. Warner tells her that he's not buying it. Nix jumps back in, saying if she's right, how are they meant to deal with it? Daniel adds that he believes her. After all, Air's the only witness so far. He warns Air that if she's going to take on a suspect like this, that she better ask Captain Baker for a better sidearm. Air moves into Baker's office. She and the captain have a conversation. Baker tells her that he's read the report. It's hard to believe, but they can't deny all the deaths. They'll have to now go all out to solve the case. He also tells her to make sure she's well equipped. He hands her his permit and says to give it to the Torres in the weapons department. He should be able to help her out. Air leaves the office and makes her way down to the weapons department to look for Torres. However, he's not in. Some other man, Wayne, is. As Air enters the room, Wayne says, hey there, good looking. Air shuts him down, tells him to cut the crap, and wants to know where Torres is. Wayne says that he doesn't know, insulting Torres, calling him a baldy, and then asks her what it'll be, a shotgun or a rocket launcher. From off screen, someone shouts at Wayne, and Wayne stammers out his words. Torres tells him, idiots like you are the reason why guns don't disappear from this country. Get your ass back to the weapon storage. You're far from ready to be handling guns in here. Wayne agrees and leaves. Air turns her attention to Torres, telling him she needs some equipment. Torres asks if it's about last night's case. He says he's heard it's a mess and adds as long as cops rely on guns, criminals will too. He states it's a vicious cycle and he hates to hand weapons to such a young cop like Air. However, he has heard this is no ordinary criminal and he can't send her off empty-handed. Torres hands Air an M16 assault rifle and sends her on her way. Air leaves and walks through the corridors of the police station, where she sees a young boy alone. She asks him if he's lost, and just as the boy's about to speak, Daniel shouts from off screen, Ben? The boy, named Ben, then replies, saying Daddy. Air then realises this is Daniel's son. The two are introduced by Daniel, but then he wants to know what Ben is doing there. Ben hands Daniel something and he looks at them and says, tickets, oh yeah, there's a concert. I'm sorry, son, daddy's real busy for today. I promise I'll make up for it. Ben shouts fine and then runs off. Daniel shouts his name, but Ben doesn't stop to look back and leaves the station. He says, I guess every kid needs a mother. Air interrupts him, telling him it's not true, that she was raised by her father after her mother died. 
and she'll always be grateful for that. Daniel replies saying well his mother is still alive and then walks off to allow Air to continue to explore the station. Just down the corridor is another uniformed officer, Kathy. She asks Air if she met Daniel's son and then states that Daniel divorced his wife last year. She mentions that Daniel kept saying every boy needs a father and he fought Lorraine, his ex-wife, for Ben's custody. Although he won this, being a cop, it doesn't give him much time to spend with him. Kathy then suddenly remembers that Captain Baker was looking for Air. Air ends her conversation with Kathy and heads back up to Baker's office. Baker tells her they have a press conference and that he wants Air there as well. Air is puzzled and asks me. He tells her that's right. You'll be on national television as the sole survivor of that incident. But you only answer when I ask you. The media is looking for anything to grill us about. They may even turn you into a suspect. So let me do the talking, understand? She replies, yes, sir. And then they go. Baker and Air leave together and head to the press room. Baker gets on at the podium to address. A reporter then starts to talk. The reporter asks, so you're saying this could be the work of terrorists? Baker confirms that is the current speculation. The reporter moves on to the officers and the firemen at the scene bursting into flames. Air goes to speak, but Baker talks over her. He tells them it was due to a rare, highly flammable chemical which was used to start the fire. Not believing this lie, the reporter says another question, then how did Detective Brayer survive without so much as a minor burn? Once again, Baker lies and he says it's due to the results of a quick thinking and training as an officer. The reporter gets angry, stating he was asking her. Baker goes to speak, but then Air talks over Baker this time. Air says, she said that my mitochondria were a mutation. Baker goes to scold Air, but the reporter questions her about the mitochondria and who said it. Air continues, Melissa, no. She said she was Eve. The reporter replies, but according to the report, Melissa Pierce was killed in the fire. Air tells him that Melissa did die and her body was taken over by this Eve. Wanting to know, the reporter gets hysterical, asking, what is this Eve, some kind of alien? There's a bit of commotion and Baker tells people, please, she's very tired. We are still investigating and that will be all for today. Back in Baker's office, the four people have gathered. Baker, Daniel, Air and Nix. Baker scolds Air, saying, I thought I told you not to say anything. Air replies, saying she's just telling the truth. Baker tells her that is not the point. Who is going to believe you? You'll only stir up the media and cause people to panic. Daniel attempts to defend Air. However, the phone rings. Baker picks it up. We only hear Baker's side of the conversation. He says, Baker here. Answering the person, he says, who? Well, what does he want? Put him through. Baker is speaking to a new person on the phone and says, this is Captain Baker. What? Meet? You'll have to speak up. All right. He hangs up and tells the rest of the team it was some Japanese scientist. He couldn't understand his English well and he was raving something about Mito and says he's coming over here. Air asked if he means mitochondria because that's what Eve said and that it was time for mitochondria to be set free. 
Nix jumps in, saying that he read that a researcher at the museum has just wrote a new theory on the mitochondria. Daniel changes the subject, saying, Sir, I'm taking air to talk to this researcher. Baker tells him to go and better get there before the media. Air now leaves the station, and we are now presented with a world map, where we can select different locations. Right now, there are only three locations. NYPD, number 17, Carnegie Hall, and the museum. The museum is selected, and we are given the scene where Air and Daniel are driving there. As they are travelling, they talk. Daniel tells her that they're going to the Museum of Natural History. Dr. Hans Clamp will be there. Air asks about Dr. Clamp, saying what's his area of research. Daniel tells her, according to papers, he's working on a new theory, mitochondria something, but it seems to cover the whole generic spectrum. Air finds it funny that he has a PhD and he's working in a museum. Daniel tells her that he's pretty antisocial and he doesn't like to waste time outside research. Air protests slightly, saying sarcastically they're going to have a grand time. Daniel says, yeah, I know where you're going with this, just be careful. Air asks him if he's referring to the press conference, to which he says yes. Changing the subject, Air asks Daniel why he kisses the chief's butt, because didn't they join the force at the same time? He tells her, yeah, but that was years ago, and now he's the boss. Once they get to the museum, Daniel says that it's been a while since he's visited here, and that he used to love the dinosaur exhibit as a kid. However, it looks like the museum is closed today. He suggests that they go speak to a security guard. They walk around a bit and then talk to the security guard at the top of the stairs. Daniel asks how he's doing and the guard replies, doing okay, pretty cold day though, how about yourself? He tells him they're with the NYPD and they're looking for a Dr. Clamp and that he works here. The guard tells him he does and he should be up in the room now. He lets them in, air thanks them saying it shouldn't take long. The three people move inside of the museum. Daniel starts to talk. He says the place is pretty creepy without people. The guard ignores his comment and tells him that they'll find Dr. Clamp in his research lab on the second floor. He continues to say he's been pretty busy for the past few weeks and doesn't come out, ever. Just go on up the steps and he should be there. The guard opens the door for them and then asks the air to sign in. The pair sign in then move on upstairs towards Dr. Clamp's office. Inside they call for Dr. Clamp. He says that he hears them. Air tells them that they're with the NYPD and they want to ask a few questions. They want some clues for the incident that occurred. Dr. Clamp immediately jumps on defensive and asking if he's being accused. All of a sudden, Air goes back to the visions. And again, it's the doctor looking at the child, but it's fleeting. And she's back to normal. Daniel asks if she's okay. She says yes, and the conversation continues on. Daniel asks the doctor about his mitochondria research he's been doing. Dr. Clamp's a bit confused. He goes, NYPD, why you were interested in my research? Air tells him that the suspect mentioned that the mitochondria would be set free. And as she's about to ask the doctor if he has any knowledge on the subject, Daniel interrupts him, saying that suspect ignited people on fire without even laying a finger on them, then transformed into some kind of creature and then ran off. Air jumps back in, saying, since she mentioned mitochondria, we were hoping you could supply us with some info. Dr. Clamp laughs at them and saying, you have no idea what the true mitochondria is like. He says that the mitochondria possesses its own unique genetic code. Air speculates, saying, is this a separate organism? The doctor confirms this, while Daniel describes it as a parasite, to which the doctor takes offense. He says a parasite? 
That's an interesting way of describing the most fascinating creature. We cannot live without mitochondria. The mitochondria creates energy for us and without it, we are nothing. We are here because the mitochondria allows us to be here. Our brain, for example, the brain functions due to the interaction between the axons and the dendrites. This interaction is possible due to the energy the mitochondria provides. Did you know that mitochondria is capable of discharging 200,000 volts of electricity? This is not only pertains to electrical discharge, but applies to heat as well. Daniel gets the conclusions. This is where the combustions came from. Dr. Clamp continues talking. For the human to burn and melt, 1600 degrees of heat must be generated. There are several hundred mitochondria present within a single cell. If all the mitochondria in the body began functioning at the same time, a tremendous amount of energy would be generated and released. Melting a human into a puddle of fluid would be a simple task with so much energy. Here asked the doctor directly if he's saying that the mitochondria ignited these people. Clamp continues laughing. You have no idea the mitochondria has control over an organism's growth. Take this hand, for example. Before we're born, the hand is merely a glob of flesh. But then when the cells between the fingers deteriorate, that's where the fingers first form. When the cells which make up the body are needed anymore, it receives a signal to die. The signal is initiated by the mitochondria. When it is relayed, the genetic information in the nucleus is cut off and in essence dies. The same can be said for aging. The mitochondria mutates 10 times faster than cells. Of course, this also applies to the mutant forms of the mitochondria as well. When too many mutant mitochondria multiply, the energy production level decreases. This decrease in energy production is associated with the aging process. He then comes to a conclusion saying that, are you still stupid enough to say that we are the highest species? Daniel wants to know if mitochondria does this consciously. Clamp's reply is that it could mutate 10 times faster than cells, so it could also evolve 10 times faster. Since the beginning of creation, the mitochondria has been evolving at this rate. It is no surprise that they possess a power beyond our cognition. He continues to talk. He says it was a scientist who tried to determine the mutation rate of mitochondria. The scientist wanted to establish a connection with human ancestry, and in 1987 it was announced that the root of all humans can be traced to a single woman in Africa. This finding was announced to the world, and with this, the mitochondrial theory spread like wildfire. He then gives a name to the root of this, calling it Mitochondria Eve. He replies, surprised, Eve, that's a suspect in yesterday's case, called herself. Clamp is also surprised by this. Daniel demands to know that he's not holding anything back. Clamp just then apologises, saying, I've told you what I know, and I'd like to return to my studies. I believe you know the way out. Daniel tries to argue with him, but Ea tells him to forget it, and the pair leave and drive back to the police station. Whilst they're in the car, Daniel hits the horn out of frustration. He says, what's wrong with that guy? I can't stand him. Ea ignores the question and says, that man, I've seen him before, but I can't remember where. Daniel picks up the radio and says, what? Okay, we'll be right there. He then tells Ea that there's a new break in the case. She asks what? And he just says, we gotta get back to the station and hits the siren and goes. Once they get back to the station, Ea and Daniel go to the conference room to meet up with Nix and Chief Baker. Baker starts the conversation, telling the team that Melissa's solo concert was scheduled for today. He says she had disappeared after last night's incident 
and the concert was cancelled, but people are still gathering at this stage. We must not let another massacre happen. Baker reminds the team that the concert is in the Central Park Amphitheatre. Daniel is very shocked by this and he asks why. He says that Ben and Lorraine are at the concert. He then hurries Ear to go. Baker tells Daniel that they're not through, but he replies, Screw you, Baker, my son's in danger. He runs off and Baker tells Ear to watch his back. We then see a CG cutscene and a car leaves the police station at high speed and starts to drive towards Central Park. Again, whilst they're in the car, the sirens are going and the two talk. Daniel asks what the hell does Melissa, no, Eve, want from us? Air stating the obvious tells him it looks like if she wants to gather people in one big area. Daniel tells her that she's going to pay for getting his boy involved and Air just wants him to hurry on. The scene ends with Daniel saying, just hang in there Ben, I'm coming for you. He puts his foot down. We go back to the map. Uh, Central Park is automatically selected for us and we travel. The pair arrive at Central Park and Daniel runs off while Air shouts for him to stop. But he turns around and tells her that he needs to get his boy as he attempts to cross the threshold of the park. His arm catches fire. He turns around to tell her that he needs to get his boy. However, as he attempts to cross the threshold of the park, his arm catches fire. He backs off, extinguishes the flames and Air tells him, sometimes you gotta look before you leap, old timer. He frustratingly tells her that he doesn't care if he burns, but Ear interrupts him, saying that she'll go. Daniel reminds Ear that Ben is his son and the only family that he has. She says, leave it to me and that she'll get them out safe, to which she promises. Finally adding, besides, Ben needs you. You won't do him any good if you're dead. Daniel tells her, all right, I'm counting on you. Now it's some actual gameplay, which is the first gameplay in quite a while exploration since probably the sewer. Ea explores the park and gets attacked by various creatures which have escaped from the zoo. She gets to the zoo, moves on in, but there's no animals in any of the cages. However, she does bump into them around the place in battles. She gets to the other end and leaves. This puts her back on the path to make her way towards Eve. As she approaches the amphitheater, she can see Eve floating on the stage. Eve speaks, the holiday season brings joy to us all, and this Christmas will be the most special of all. Special because I will no longer be under the control of a host, as I have since the dawn of time. Humans are weak mitochondria can self-evolve. Mitochondria must now take over the nucleus. We switch into a CG cutscene, the seats are packed, but people don't seem to acknowledge the fact that Eve is floating. Suddenly, they all start to turn into the same goo-like substance Eve did before when she moved through the gate. This substance then collects and seems to drain away. Back in the game, Ea states she must get backstage to stop her and runs around quickly to confront Eve. She shouts at Eve, demands to know why she's doing this. Eve asks you again, but you're too late. You will not ruin my plans as you did last night. Eve floats away and Air commands her to stop but is ignored. She then gives chase through Central Park but Eve is very fast. As Air is moving through the park, she sees a little girl in the hospital gown again. Following her, 
she leads down the path to catch up Eve. Eve is floating next to a horse with an open-air carriage attached to it. Once again, Eve speaks. Your genes are stronger than I thought. Come, my dear, let's go for a ride, and then laughs. Air gets on the carriage. We then get a CG scene of the horse bursting into flames and starting to run. We move back into the game engine, and Eve speaks, saying, why be on the human side? Air asks her, why not? I am human, after all. Eve wants to know why she's going with them and not herself. Air, confused, asks what? But Eve flies up into the air in the two battle once again. During the battle they speak and Eve tells her, it seems you still don't know who I am. Well, if you don't know, your mitochondria will. And that's why you are drawn to the opera. Yeah, is confused and asks what she's talking about. But Eve explains. She reaches for Air, to which her body seems to react to Eve. Air demands for her to stop it. Eve tells her if we join forces, the other mitochondria in the world will. Back to another CG cutscene, shows the carriage which clips a curb and then spins out of control to finally come into a rest. The screen fades black and we get visions again. We see the hospital room, it flashes white, then the little girl is on the bed. During the next flash, the girl moves from one bed to the other in an instant. The final flash then brings the doctor into the room and the scene fades. Fading back in, we're now looking at Daniel outside the park and he's shouting for air to answer him. From the right-hand side of the screen, Ben comes into the shot and approaches Daniel. He shouts for his father. Daniel replies, Ben, when are you going to the concert? He is told that he came here with his mother, but she was all weird. Daniel asks for an explanation. He says he came with his mother so all three of them could be together. But when his mother got to the stage, that she freaked out. Then when Ben got near the stage, he started to feel sick, so he left. He tells Daniel that his mother wasn't herself and she left and everyone else went. Fading to black, we end up in Baker's office with Baker, Warner, and Nix. The three men talk. Baker starts, saying the casualties were much worse this time and we cannot put the lives of other citizens in jeopardy any longer. He continues to say they have orders to evacuate all of citizens out of Manhattan. Fortunately, most people are out of the city for Christmas. Warner asks what they should be doing next. Baker tells him, we will stay and assist in neutralising Eve. However, Nix wants to leave this for the army. Baker doesn't like this comment and says we're the ones that should be protecting the city. Just then, Daniel comes running into the room asking if anyone's heard from Air. All the men shake their head. Daniel swears and asks where she could be. Baker asks him he needs help with evacuating the citizens, but Daniel ignores this, saying she's our only hope against this thing, that he's going to look for her, and he runs out. Nix says that they should probably stop him, but Baker says, forget it. He's just lost Lorraine, and he'll find air. You two help with the evacuation. Daniel then goes to find Ben in the corridors of the police station. He and Kathy are in a corridor. Daniel tells Ben that he's sorry, and he has to find air. Ben asks where she went, but he says that he doesn't know, and that only air can fight the thing that hurt his mother. He then turns to Kathy and says, will you look after the child? 